Welcome the Carolina Upstate Thunder women's professional basketball team to the Upstate of South Carolina. Tryouts are on December 5th beginning at 1 p.m. at Legacy Practice Facility. There is a $50 fee. For more information, call 864-787-5056. Welcome to Two Feet in the Podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. Today, we are breaking down ideas and giving you a strong dose of motivation. Get up and get moving on your dreams with me. I'm the coach, Heather Macy, and I'm ready to coach you and how to live two feet in. If you're looking for a career, not just a job, we're now hiring CDL Class A drivers at DMX Transportation in Duncan, South Carolina. Apply online at www.shipdmx.com. Joining Two Feet in the Podcast today is Coach John Schulman. Coach Schulman is currently the men's basketball coach at the University of Alabama, Huntsville. He's a motivator, storyteller, an all-around Hall of Famer. What's up, Coach Schulman? You have lost your mind. If that's if that's what you really think of me, maybe we need to start another podcast. Listen, I am so glad that you're here. We're going to get this thing started with the three R's, the rapid reflection, redistribution questions. It's the what and the who and the how, an interesting fact or fiction. Coach, are you ready? I, I think so. I'm not sure, but I think I am. All right, Coach, what are you drinking these days? Uh, what am I drinking? I'm drinking Diet Coke and... Uh, that's what's what I do, but sometimes diet Mountain Dew when I really feel very frisky. And who are you zooming with that's added value to your life? Uh, let me see. I had a really good one yesterday. Steve DeMeo, assistant coach at St. John's, big time guy. How are you staying motivated personally? Um, fear of failure, <laughs> as always, uh, because I know people are still working right now, and it, even with the virus, people are working. So if you don't stay, you know, the curtain's going to be drawn. We're going to be ready to go back soon. You better be ready. What interesting things do you have happening with you? Well, just trying to get, you know, I'm, I'm at UAH um, trying to figure out uh, how this camp deal is going to work, how this scheduled deal is going to work, uh, bringing in all these new guys. Um, I just love the game and I love running the program. So I, I don't really have a whole lot of hobbies besides losing a lot of money on the golf course. Um, and so just basketball, 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 got a great family that allows me to do that. So that that's, I'm not real interesting. I just, I want to win games. We were 26 and five last year. Uh, we won our last nine. We just didn't get to finish. So figured out how to motivate these kids to finish uh, for this year coming up. And the toughest thing that you've ever battled? Uh, probably getting kind of let go at Chattanooga. Um, my my goals and dreams were to be a Division One head coach. I accomplished that. I was the head coach at Chattanooga for nine years. We went to two NCAA tournaments. And then um, we, we didn't, you know, we won our last regular season title in 2011, but that wasn't good enough. In 2013, I didn't have an AD. I didn't have a president. I had one year on my contract. I bowed out gracefully and um, really difficult because that's was my dream. And to be out of coaching when you want to be a coach uh, is very difficult to deal with. 
No question. Thank you, Coach, for that. And that's been the three R's with Coach John Schulman. All right, Coach, let's dive into some of these things that you talked about. First, let's talk about your golf game. Um, <laughs> is, is that a good golf game? Or are you losing a lot of money out there? I am a competitive dude. And there is nothing that I like better than just competing. I don't care if it's cornhole. I actually, uh, actually hurt my calf playing cornhole the other day. I don't want to tell a whole lot of people that. So hopefully we'll have a lot of listeners. Um, but I'm a competitive guy. And so there's nothing better than be on the golf course in about 98-degree weather with about a 14-foot putt for – seven and a half dollars in in pride i don't care what we're gambling for or what we're playing for if it's lunch or whatever i just love competing and uh the golf course is something that i i love being out there getting uh getting a nice little tan and, and playing and just competing so my game i i play with the same it's a special time i used to play with my dad quite a bit and he got me clubs when i was 18 and I still have the same ping eye two irons that I that he got me when I was 18. So it's a special time when I go out on that golf course. So I uh, used to really enjoy golfing, and I would go to the driving range after work. And this was a lot of time when I was an assistant coach. Um, and on my way home, there was a driving range. I'd go out there and hit balls, and uh, my dad also got me involved in it. And when I got the job at East Carolina, Terry Holland hired me. This is my best Terry Holland story. And he said, Coach, do you play any golf? Now, we're down in Destin, Florida at conference meetings, right? Yeah. Hey, Coach, you play any golf? And I go, well, I play poorly. And he looked at me real serious. And he said, well, Coach, I'll tell you this. Every time I see a basketball coach that's a good golfer, I see a job yeah. that's about to be open. <laughs> I said, well, I'm never playing golf again. And I'm not sure in uh, my nine years there that I ever went and played a round of golf. I think I rode around a couple times in some tournaments just chatting with some folks, but I'm not sure I've swung a, a golf club in, in about nine years. So maybe we'll play one day, but we're both ultra competitors. So I love that coach. And then something else you talked about is the fear of failure. And if you would just go into that in, in more depth. And do you think that the fear has held you back at all in your coaching well, it, career? Yeah, I don't think it's good. I didn't say it was a good thing. Um, I, I just said it is what it is. I think we're all motivated by different things. And, um, you know, coming in, uh, I, I didn't have this. You know, I, I worked for, for a guy who you know well, Jeff Lebo, who was at East Carolina, I think, at the same time you were there. Uh, I worked for Jeff Lebo. Lebo played at Carolina and was a legend at Carolina. I didn't have that type pedigree. And so – you know, we, we had motiv different motivating factors. I had fear of failure because I knew if I messed up, I may not get that opportunity again. Um, did it help? In some ways it helped be because you are relentless on the road recruiting. You are relentless in your preparation for games. You are relentless on everything that you do. But in a lot of ways it hurts because you're in a panic um uh, one, one L turns into two, two turns into three, and then you, you make a, 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 you know, a mountain of molehill. It's, it just escalates. And so I'm not going to tell you that it's a good thing, but I will say in a lot of ways uh, it has driven me to try to be successful um, when, when you don't really feel like being at that 8 o'clock AAU game or staying for that 11 o'clock at night 16 and under game. Uh, that fear of failure will make you do that. Well, we talked about the pedigree. And in this industry, 
um, when you didn't play at an elite level or you're not in a certain coaching tree, it can become more difficult. And now is the time of year when a lot of coaches are looking for jobs. Obviously, the job market's very different this year. Give some of the young coaches advice in the things that you learned as they're looking to grow in the profession. Well, I, you know, I, I remember being a first-year head coach at Chattanooga, and all these guys were trying to get a job with me, and I, and I didn't know any of them, and, and almost was offended, just to be honest. I was like, why would I hire you when I don't know you? You know, this was my one opportunity to be a head Division One coach, and, and you want me to hire – I don't even know you. I mean, I got a wife, I got a family, and I don't even know you. You want me to hire you? Uh, I think you got to get to know people. And, and this is a very difficult time to do that. I, I understand that. But I think you've got to, you know, if I'm a young guy, what I did was, you know, I was old school. I went work camp. I packed my bags in early June and I had a camp every single week, whether I was working a camp, whether I was officiating at a team camp. And, you know, I just, you know, it's weird. I say that I just gave a, a reference to a, uh, to a director of a school for a kid that, did me a favor. You know, I was, I was helping this guy run a, a team camp and, and he went with me to officiate it. Well, it was a pain in the tail to, to ref a team camp is brutal. All right. Well, I did this guy a favor and this young guy went with me and we drove up, ate some pizza, officiated, officiated all day long, which is no fun. And then drove back. Well, I remember that. And, and I, I told this director of this school, I was like, listen, man, I would hire this kid just because of that, because I know he's going to be there for me. So I just think you have to, you know, you have to have genuine connections and you have as many genuine connections as you can get and then and then kind of grow with it. But but all these Zoom calls and all these I was on this panel yesterday and all these you can still connect, even though you're not actually meeting the people. But I just, I'm an old school guy. I went and work camps. Uh, I never, all my, like, director of basketball arts, all my Dobo guys at, at Chattanooga were always kids that I brought in to work camp and work team camp. And I wanted to see, you know, we, we would have a, a hospitality night, uh, two or three nights in uh, to team camp, and all the coaches going down there. Well, if, if the guy that I had working camp, if he was the first one there, I probably knew that, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. I wanted someone to clean up the gym without being asked. I want someone to run the, their, their gym without me, without me having to get involved in a coach's dispute with an official. I wanted someone to work. I wanted me. <laughs> I wanted to hire me because I wanted to hire a guy that maybe had some fear of failure that would work and bust his tail in. But I think it's really about connections and um, the more connections you can have, the better. If they're genuine, I can sniff through, and I'm sure you can too, Coach. I can sniff through a BS guy that, that just wants a job. Um, you know, I, I was on a call the other day. Coaches that want to come to your practice and you invite to your practice, do they come or do they not come? And, and I mean, how many people, you know, I was at your clinic last fall, um, you know, I was impressed with the number of, of coaches at your at your clinic. And and then you invite everybody to your practices. Do they come? Do they not come? If they didn't come and then they want a job with you, I would say, hey, man, you had an opportunity to come to watch this practice. Do they really want to be a coach or not? Right, because a lot of people in this industry, 
like what they think comes along with coaching the free shoes right and some of the, the travel or those things but the truth the truth be told coaching isn't for the faint of heart from the hours to the heartbreak that it brings um walk us through some of that you get your dream job you're you're exactly where you want to be talk us through it and some of the lessons that you've learned well everybody thinks it's glamorous because they see it on tv and they you know my my first year my first year, I mean, it was, some of it was glamorous. We went to the University of Tennessee, and I'm an East Tennessee redneck, and we beat Tennessee at Tennessee. Well, I mean, are you kidding? It don't get any better than that moment for an East Tennessee redneck like myself to go beat the University of Tennessee at Tennessee my first year as head coach. That was pretty glamorous. And then losing three games in a row, uh, our last one we lost was to Elon at home. Elon was in the Southern Conference at that time. And you got College of Charleston um, coming coming back in the in the house on Monday night, and you've lost three in a row, and you can't sleep and you can't function. Uh, that's not real glamorous, and and people are blasting you on the on the chat, the, and chat rooms back then. Now they just get you on social media on Twitter, but there were a lot of chat rooms back in the day. That wasn't real glamorous, and but but coming back and. Uh, winning the league and winning the regular season and, and, and winning the, winning the tournament and um, being up three on Wake Forest and Skip Prosser and, and Chris Paul at half uh, on CBS, you know, you're pinching yourself. Is this really happening? Uh, but then fast forward to being down 50 to UConn on that same station, on that same CBS, that's not real glamorous in the NCAA tournament. So the highs and lows, it, you know, to me, you know, you asked me what I drank earlier, Diet Coke. That's coaching is my drug of choice. Um, and so it, it's it's a it's a thrill. It, if you truly love coaching, I, I promise you, and you know this, it, it's you never go to work. It's what you do. It's I mean, you almost feel bad for people. I, I got out of coaching for a year and I was flying with this business to go talk to these guys out in Denver. And I went to the airport and I looked around. And I was like, what are all these people doing here? And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, what are they doing? They're like, well, they're going to work and they're traveling. And I was like, I've never seen people. When you're a coach, you see your own world. You don't see the real world. You see your own world and you feel bad for people that aren't in coaching. Because we think, and I truly think that we got the best job in the world and we get to be a coach, and we get to be called a coach, and we get to impact kids, and we get to go prepare, and we either get to go win. Winning on the road, is there anything better? Heather, is there anything better than winning on the road? No question, and it's, it's tougher. It's tough, and it's the best feeling in the world. And then is there anything worse? Is there anything worse than losing that first game on a swing on the road? No, you got to see those guys for what forty-eight hours stretch with it, and the airports and buses with them. I mean, there's nothing worse, but but the highs and the lows, you don't get that working at at, at Sears. You don't get that working in the business world at, most of the time. You 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 get that the highs and lows are my is what make me tick. Uh, I, I was talking about this morning. Is there anything better than when you're when you're up? When you're up four and they, they miss a J and you rebound the ball and and you, you get fouled and there's eight seconds to go and you're on the road and you know you're that close to finding that W. Is there anything better than that last rebound? 
that feels a great relief, doesn't it? Well, and and is there's nothing better than being up three than being up three at the foul line with five seconds to go and your kid slaps in and, and, and knocks in that first free throw. I mean, there's nothing better. That is the greatest. But I also went through a season, I don't know, maybe 2010, maybe 2010, 2011, 2012, that, that we lost every tight one for whatever reason. Uh, we lost, you know, there's nothing worse than getting beat at the buzzer. There's nothing worse than getting beat by a three at the buzzer. Um, there's nothing worse than making a decision that we're not going to foul and they, and they make a three and you go into overtime, you get beaten overtime. Uh, it's, it's, but it's what makes us tick. It, it's the, it's the goods, it's the bads that I don't think you get in any other profession. That's why I love coaching. And, and I've talked about this uh, an awful lot. You, you get that same crushing feel if you're a junior high coach or if you're a varsity coach or if you're coaching in junior college or NAIA or D3, D2, D1 or the professional level, it, it's the same. And, and so coaching is coaching, whether you're coaching basketball, and I think it's the greatest game on, on earth. Uh, but th- that's the highs and lows is you go, you, you go beat Tennessee at, at Tennessee, and then you get beat at home in the, the finals of the Dr. Pepper Classic by Birmingham Southern um, that same year. And then you end up going to the NCAA tournament. You know, it's – but I, I was – and, Heather, I don't know about you, I was – probably the best in the country at one time at, at one particular skill. I was great at it. I could turn one loss into two and two into three quicker than any coach in America. I could take that loss and mess up our team better than any coach in America because I would dwell on that. I had old age. I'm still not great at it, but I, I work every day at it. So personally, how do you recover from you, you have this uh, just a loss. It doesn't have to be a dramatic loss. How are you personally able to recover now? What did you learn? How did you work yourself through not causing your team to lose more than one time? Well, I, I'm still not very good at it, um, but I think it's our surroundings and who we learn from. So I learned from Alan LaForce, and and Coach LaForce was a very successful high school coach, and then he went to East Tennessee State and a very successful coach. Uh, we, we beat Arizona one year in the NCAA tournament, got beat by the 5-5 of Michigan. Um, then he went over to your side of the basketball, and he was the head coach at Coastal Carolina forever. But if we lost a game on the road, oh, my God. It, it, I mean, he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't talk. And so I thought that's how it was done. And so you don't eat, you don't talk. I mean, he snuck a peek at me one time. I was eating a slice of pizza. I was like, oh, my God, I felt so guilty. I was like, I guess we're not allowed to eat. When we lose, here's the deal. Nick Saban, Nick Saban is, is probably is like one of my heroes now. And he gets it. So after, you know, when they're winning, when they're winning, he is blistering everybody's tail in. And when they're, are, when they're losing, he is patting people on the butt. He is hugging guys. He is, he is encouraging and it's the same thing. When we win, we should that, that should give us a right. They feel good about themselves anyway. That, that should give us a right. We, we need to kill them at that moment. And when we lose, we need to, we need to hug them and we need, to, we need to love on them a little bit. Same thing with us coaches. You know, it, we don't need more praise when we, when we win. We need more praise and some help when we lose. So it's just a, trying to flip that switch a little bit. Um, it, it's still – I guess 
a reminder to us all is that this, the, the, you know, we think, you know, we think, I guess when we got beat last year by West Alabama, I really think, did you remember that Heather? Did, did you have any inkling or any idea that we got beat by West Al at home? Do you remember? I didn't coach. I'm sorry. Okay. that That's what I'm talking about. Nobody else did either. But as a basketball coach, we think everybody revolves and everybody's watching that game. Nobody cares that we got beat at home by West Alabama. The fans didn't care. And, and that's where I was so self-absorbed when I was at Chattanooga. I thought everything in Chattanooga revolved around us winning and losing a game. And I didn't hit me until the next year when I kind of went out in the business world for a second in Chattanooga. Chattanooga got beat at home one night. And, and I was working with, with these guys who are really important in the city of Chattanooga. I said, how about that game last night? And they went, what, what are you talking about? And I said, well, Chattanooga. He said, did they play? Mm. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? Did they play? They got beat, man. And um, th those guys didn't even care. Um, most people, just to be honest, are really concerned about themselves. <laughs> and they're not really worried about if we're winning or losing a game. It's just not that important. And it's important to us. I get that. It's important to our kids. But it's way more important not to lose your kids um, after, a, after an L. And Charlton Young, Heather, I don't know. You know, you know CY at all? I don't. Charlton Young's assistant at Florida State. He was one of my first assistants. And uh, I was stressing. We got beat in a pre – I mean, we got beat in November. And he was like, Coach, we got a good team. Let's don't lose our team in November. We don't play the Southern Conference Tournament until March. If we're going to lose our team, let's lose it after that last game in March. Let's don't lose it in November. A lot of, a lot of coaches lose their team early, and there's no reason for it because we're in a tournament sport. Last time I checked, now things may change a little bit because of this virus, but we're in a tournament sport. If you're playing good in March, you got a chance. So be kind to yourself a little bit after some L's. We all say the right things, Heather, win or learn. We don't ever lose. We're going to learn from losses. We, we need to do a much better job learning from wins and treating ourselves better after losses, if that makes any sense. So you just brought up uh, an assistant coach who had great perspective, uh, which probably took a lot of courage to come to you at that moment. Tell us what makes a good assistant coach. Well, I, I think you, you have to have trust. I, I've got two great assistant coaches here at UAH. I mean, I'm talking about phenomenal. And they are unbelievable offensively. Now, I, I will say this. Um, I'm a little bit more comfortable in my skin now um, than I was back in the day. Um, I'm, all head coaches are control freaks, so let's just get that out of the way. We, we're in charge, and we got to control things and we, we, because we're, we're in charge of everything. Well, you know, I, I want to give our assistant coaches a, a, a chance to coach. You know, what, what's first of all, I think an assistant coach has got to have, you know, it's like almost a player. Uh, what are you bringing to the table? Are you bringing something to the table? I don't care if you don't know it. What are you bringing to the table? Are you a hardworking guy? Or are you trying to get out of the office early? And I don't think it, I don't think you have to stay in the office till 11 o'clock every single night to prove your self-worth. Uh, but what are you bringing to the table? I got great offensive minds for assistant coaches here at UAH. So, but I got a decent uh, offensive mind, a decent one. 
So are, are we going to run my stuff? We're going to run their stuff. Well, it's nice to be not the smartest person in the room. Finally, in, in my eyes, I was never, but in my eyes, I'm finally not. I let those guys coach and they bring something to the table every single day. And you should see these guys grow now. And, and I give them, I give them a, a, a long leash. And so I give them my trust. And so what they've done in return is they've turned into be really, really good basketball coaches. We just won 26 games with a debate team. Our team does not look like a basketball team. We look like we're a debate team and we're going to win the spelling bee. All right. We don't look like we're going to win a basketball game. My guys have a really good feel offensively, but my assistant coaches have brought that to the table. So bring something to the table as an assistant coach, whether you're a recruiter, whether you're a basketball coach, whether you're an offensive guy, whether you're a defensive guy, it don't matter. You could be a great assistant coach by just bringing something to the table as little as coach. Let me, let me make sure that uh, we got three guys going to the offense glass every single time and we're boxing out. That's a great assistant. Coach. Just bring something to the table. But if you're not loyal and you ain't hardworking and you're not trustworthy, then you are a piss poor assistant coach. Because at the end of the day, I was assistant coach for 15 years before I got my chance. Your job as an assistant coach is to help your head coach win. Because if he wins, you win. So we don't need any of those guys. To say, like, you know, if I was a head coach, I'd be doing this. And if I was a head coach, I'd be doing – no, you wouldn't. You'd be making the same goofy mistakes. What we call – me and Lebo called it uh, um, HCS. Head coaching syndrome. All right. We call it the head coach. You got so much stuff on your mind. You don't even know where your keys are. You forgot where you parked your car. Like you become a head coach. You lose your mind because you got so much stuff on your mind besides coaching your team, recruiting your team, fundraising, your own personal life. You got so much crap going on. It is hard. And a good assistant coach can take some of that off the head coach. Okay, Coach, this platform and the podcast is your ability to go into it and talk about an experience you've had or something that you're really passionate about that you want to educate the world on. Use the podcast to do it. Oh, Lord, to educate the world, something that I'm passionate about. Uh, I'm passionate about, um, I would think I'm very passionate about being good to people, um, serving people. Uh, and, and helping people try to live their dreams. I, I was a uh, <laughs> I was a little eighth grade kid in Johnson City, Tennessee that that wanted to be a basketball coach. And I had people along the way, Joe McPherson, Marty Street, Al in the Force. I had people along the way pull me through and and help me. That's why I'm very passionate about kind of what you're doing, what Adam Gordon's doing is rising coaches. Help people along the way. Now, I'm 53. I don't act 53. I act about 12. But I'm 53, and I got a chance to live my dreams. And I've had an unbelievable life living my dream. I, I, I really think that we're all, we're all supposed to, and we all have a charge uh, to, to help young people and to help somebody else live their dream. And so I, I don't think, you know, none of us got there by ourselves. We all had help. I, we must help our younger generation and younger coaches live their dream or a basketball player live their dream. I got a chance to watch our kids climb up that ladder, cut down those nets. 
and all of a sudden we're, we're trying to pick out rings. That's what I'm talking about, helping people live their dreams in a very uncommon way. So we know as coaches, we're the best at motivating and we get people all fired up. But there is a gap between motivating somebody and then getting them to actually produce a move into action. Tell us strategies that you've incorporated throughout the years, motivating folks and then getting them to produce and have action on that motivation. Well, I I mean, we can all motivate different ways. I mean, we can motivate um, through punishment. We can motivate in a positive way. We can all motivate in different ways. And I think everybody needs different ways to, to motivate. You know, I, I think, I think some kids, you know, if I rip a kid, if I, that's, I think that's the key is knowing, I guess, knowing what buttons to push and, and how do you figure that out? You figure that out through relationships. I've got, you know, we got kids on our team here that if I rip them and try to motivate them that way, they got they'll go into a shell. And I got other guys that if I rip them and blast them, they'll come out of their shell. And so, you know, whether you're running guys or we just everybody wants. And I think me and you are included. Everybody wants somebody to believe in them. And everybody wants somebody to pat them on the back and say, man, I really appreciate you. Love you. And you're doing a great job, man. Keep it up. Or, hey, listen, you've missed five threes in a row. Hey, man, next one's going. And if you don't shoot that basketball, you're coming out of the game because I believe in you. So I, I think I, I would say the word belief um, is, is pretty important when motivating a kid because if you can believe in a kid, uh, you can motivate a kid. And that kid, what, what we're trying to do, yeah, absolutely, we need to motivate. All right. But we need to almost motivate and give that kid belief so we don't have to motivate all the time, because if you're having to motivate them and get them going every single day to practice, you're going to have a tough time. And so motivate, give them belief early so they can do it all themselves and you don't have to motivate anymore that they have self-motivation. All right, Coach, you've given us some really good nuggets here, and I hate it, but this is going to be the final question of today's podcast. Okay. Leave our listeners with the greatest dose of motivation. Take it away, Coach. The greatest dose? Of, well, I, you know, like I said, I, I really do think you got to believe. I think you got to believe in kids. And if you believe in kids uh, and tell them and show them, use the L word. You can love on a kid. You can tell them that you love that kid. But if you love the kid, and you believe in the kid, then, then, and you show, you show them how you got to show them how to do it. But if you love them and you believe in them, then I, I really think they can do whatever they want to do in this world and be very successful. Thanks to our guest and friend, cause John Schulman for being two feet in and warning us that when you coach, you sometimes only see your own world and reminding us to be good to people, serve people and help people live their dreams. Visit the show notes to learn more about coach and to reach him directly. That's been Coach John Schulman on Two Feet in the Podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. Come wine with us at the Wine House on Haywood Road in Greenville, South Carolina. Happy hour, Tuesday through Friday, 4 to 6.30 p.m. 475 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina. A big thank you to all of our guests for breaking down ideas, giving a strong dose of motivation, and helping us learn to live two feet in.